Please open to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be reading out of Luke's Gospel here in just a moment, chapter 5. And uh, this will be the end of our parable study that we started a number of weeks ago because we are uh, quickly moving to Resurrection Sunday and there's some things we want to mention with regards to that. But uh, we want to finish up our parables and as you will recall, we never really formally called it a series. We just dwelled on this area because we felt like that's where God would have us. And we've just been sharing with you what it means to be a passionate inviter. Not everybody feels confident or comfortable, equipped or trained at times to be what we might label a soul winner. And sometimes I think because we don't feel equipped to do soul winning, uh, we feel like we get some sort of an exemption from doing anything with regards to kingdom work. But we started with that parable so many weeks ago of the great banquet where the King finally said to everyone, he said, just go out. If, they, if people, are, the ones that are invited aren't coming, then just go and invite everybody. And they just invited people indiscriminately. And that's kind of where we're at, just being passionate inviters. Maybe you don't know the whole gospel, and maybe you don't feel confident, but everyone can say, there's something great going on at our church. It's the house of God. The king wants it full. How about you? Would you like to come? And that's something all of us can do. And we're going to conclude it all this morning with one of my favorite parables, and it fits into all of this. And the parable I want to read to you today out of Luke chapter 5 has to deal with concepts like change, flexibility, newness within the kingdom and most applicably within the people of God. One of my favorite quotes from Mark Twain is this. No one really enjoys change except a wet baby. He also said this one. I found this. He said, after having spent a lot of time with religious people, I understand why Jesus preferred to spend time with tax collectors and sinners. That's almost like ouch and amen, isn't it? Ouch and amen. Why would he say that? It's because churches are not notoriously well-known for their capacity to change. In fact, many would make the point that perhaps it should be one place where change never occurs. Of course, if that be the case, then all of us would be under Solomon's portico, wouldn't we? We'd all be meeting outside. We'd all be still going to temple as Peter and John did. We'd all be doing all those first century dynamics. Or maybe we'd be doing the service in Latin this morning. Or maybe I'd have a flannel board out here for you. How about the pipe organ? I remember them pipe organs, baby. I still like a good pipe organ. But, but that's no pipe organ. You see, the thing we don't want to admit is that what we now like took change to get us here. Have you ever thought about that? Whatever it is you like, I guarantee you there was massive change to get you to the place where whatever you like is today. But now that we're here, we really don't want to change. It's kind of what we do here in the low country, you know. It's everybody wants to move to the low country, and then once we get here, you say, I don't want any more building permits. Once I'm here, everything can, no change. I want it to stay exactly the same as it is. 
And let me tell you something, that's, that's not how it works. And we're going to have to get used to change in the kingdom of God. Of course, I don't think truth changes. In fact, I'm sure truth doesn't change. I don't believe the word changes. I don't believe the nature of God changes. However, I will assure you that the structures God uses do indeed change. And that's what Jesus will call, in this parable, a wineskin. Now you all do realize that when Jesus showed up, he was fixing to change 2,000 years of established religious history. You get that, don't you? If, if you happen to have been a faithful Orthodox Jew in those days, and Jesus showed up saying what he said, I guarantee you your learning curve would have been big. Because he was, he was fixing to challenge the whole religious culture of his day. And he was going to challenge Judaism to change. And so here's a parable that he gave them. And it's not just for change's sake, but hopefully we'll, we'll pull the context into it and you'll begin to see why this was so important. I call our lesson today a wineskin God can fill. A wineskin God can fill. Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 36, we read. Then he, meaning Jesus, spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear, and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the skins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. Verse 38, but new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. A wineskin that God can fill. In this particular parable, Jesus has been calling out his 12 disciples. Now, if you were going to call 12 disciples, they would become apostles, and you were going to establish uh, some transformational work Within Judaism, I can assure you that these 12 would not have been your first pick. These were not scholars. These were not rabbis. These were not priests. These were not the Sanhedrin leaders, Pharisees, Sadducees. These were just fishermen. And I started to think about that. You know, a lot of times, listen to me, it's easier to start with somebody who doesn't know anything than it is to try to change the mind of people who think they know everything. Amen. That wasn't even on my notes. Revelation's already pouring forth. And I, as a pastor, I can tell you that's the truth. Sometimes you're better off getting a good old rank heathen sinner and working on them than somebody who's been walking in the way for 30 years. They've been in the way, all right. Because they know everything already. Lord, we've had people come through here that just have five years of Christianity under their belt, and they know how to run churches better than anybody. You would think there would be a little humility in people. But Jesus, I think, knew right out of the chute. He was going to have to get him just 12 moldable people. Because what he was fixing to work on was going to be uh, intractable and entrenched, and it was going to be difficult. And this was the first of many times as he's beginning to share and as he's beginning to teach 
that the context of all of this is uh, concerning his reaching out to lost people and fellowshipping with the traditional outcasts. Because if you will read uh, prior verses, you know, he called out a tax collector, Matthew. And how many of you know tax collectors to this day are not high on our list of righteousness? So he's calling people out, and, and, and I'm sure the religious system's looking at him going, whoa, wait, ho, time out. What are you doing here? And Jesus is saying, i got to get people who, who we can mold and we can work with. And it was during this discussion that Jesus puts this parable out there, and I think it's very important that we get this, because the religious system of his day wanted to preserve the status quo of their religion. That's what religion does. I'm, I'm not against religion if you define religion as simply a, a, a born-again experience and walk and journey with Jesus and warm-heartedness. And Hey, I'm all for religion if that's how you defined it. But mostly religion is that which is intractable, that which is hard-headed, it's unteachable, it refuses to engage with the culture. And the religious system of Jesus' day wanted to preserve the status quo of their religion. But Jesus comes along, and if we keep this in context, he's telling them that unless some things begin to change, that system will not reach those who need to hear the good news of the gospel. Now, church people, listen to me. Now, I'm not saying that, that, that we're bad or that we've got a problem. I'm really not even putting it in that context because... Our church tends to be a tad bit edgier, and, and, and we try to stay relevant. But you know, most of you have enough, enough walk under your belt, or you grew up in probably a more mainline, formal-type church setting. You know what I'm talking about when I tell you that sometimes church folk want to preserve the status quo. Don't you take my seat. I don't care if you reach out to people, but they ain't sitting in this seat. I mean, you, it's fine to invite people, but I'm not in my place. I don't want, they aren't giving up my place in line. I ain't giving up my job. I ain't giving up my music. I ain't giving up my, I ain't giving up everything that I like. I reached the world, but they're going to come. We're going to preserve the status, the status quo. Jesus is talking to us. L- l- listen to me. I know That when the renewal movement took place in the 70s and the 80s, and some of you were a part of the renewal movement when all all this kind of music got started, and man, it was crazy. I mean, how how fresh and new and and, and, and at the same time crazy how people reacted and and how they didn't want it. But do you notice now everybody does it, just about, it seems like. And and it's interesting how, how, you know, change eventually leavens through the body of Christ. Uh, but what's interesting now is, is that I'll have old, I call them now old-time charismatics, come in who are used to a structure and a way of doing things in the 70s and the 80s, even the 90s, and now they come and they think that if it's not their way, it's not God's way. You know what? You can be a Pharisee being a Catholic, an Episcopalian, a Baptist, a Methodist, a Presbyterian, or a Pentecostal, or full gospel. It's not the label, it's the heart. And so, I think the immediate point that Jesus was trying to tell these folks here is that he was trying to prepare the leaders 
uh, for what he was about ready to do. And he was about ready to upset the apple cart. He was trying to prepare them for freshness. He was trying to prepare them for the newness of the gospel. And it was going to demand some changes and some new structures and some new forms than they currently had. If you begin to think about it, that makes sense. How are you going to put the cross and the lamb slain once before the foundation of the world into their brittle and obsolete sacrificial system? I mean, that wasn't going to fit. If Jesus was the once and for all lamb, how many of you know we're going to lose all our lambs? If the cross was going to be the center of the faith now, how many of you know we're going to lose all of the temple trappings? Grace and mercy had come in the form of Christ, and that was not going to always fit into their man-made traditions of rules and laws. Life was preparing to be poured out upon what had become dead and lifeless. And if they weren't flexible, it was going to burst everything they knew to be once true. And that's exactly what Jesus eventually did when he looked at him and he said, I have come to destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it back up again. And they all freaked. Tear down the temple. He's Beelzebub. He's changing the temple. He's changing the way we do things. He's changing everything. He's a devil. That's what they called him. And in many ways, Jesus came and he totally turned the apple cart upside down. He's telling them, what I'm going to do is going to take more than a patch. He says, listen, I've not come just to patch on a little patch here with what you're doing. I've come to tell you that everything as you have known it is fixing to change. It's going to take a new container. And here's the payoff. Because for most people, when they hear change and when it affects them... Most people, they're so busy moaning and whining and what are we going to do and this can't be God. Jesus said, this is the payoff. The payoff is souls will be won into the kingdom. That's the payoff. That's the payoff. Now, in 21st century Christianity, can we just admit sometimes we just aren't much better than the first century bunch? We've designed obsolete wineskins, obsolete structures maybe of worship, devotion. Perhaps they were anointed in a previous era, but today they're lifeless. And the point is, does it reach the harvest field? Can the gospel be proclaimed? Can, can people hear the good news? And, and you know, whenever I, I'm getting old enough now because I, I'm trying to be, my wife is such a good uh, introspector and she's trying to teach me to be a better introspector and i think i've gotten better i'm not the best I, I think guys can we just admit we're not great introspectors but as i get older i'm finding sometimes and and, and, and at first it kind of rubs and then it, it becomes funny because as you get older change does become i think a little more difficult you get routines you get the way it's supposed to be and 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 i started kind of a feeling for the Jews of this particular era because think about this for just a moment the tabernacle the tabernacle where they went and they sacrificed and they worshiped God and then the tabernacle switched into the temple and it was there that they sacrificed and they worshiped God and the Bible tells us that there were times that God's presence would so powerfully show up that the priests were unable to stand literally 
the Shekinah would come and knock the priests off their feet. In other words, they'd go out, you know, in the Spirit. I mean, that was in the temple. Think about how the glory cloud would come. Think about the shaking and the, the signs and the wonders. And this was the history that revolved around the tabernacle and the temple. And now all of a sudden, you're telling us we're going to have to leave it? Christians struggle with this. I remember growing up, some of you maybe grew up like this, some of you perhaps didn't, so you won't understand it, but I grew up, I remember when uh, you'd have Sunday morning and Sunday night service. Amen. That's when we were holy. That's right. We were holy. Bless God. I remember I got saved in a Sunday night service. I mean, I mean the Sunday night services of the church I went to were packed. I mean, it was, God was there Sunday night. Yeah, man. If you're in this thing, man, you're there Sunday night. And, and there was a glory to that. Now, <clears throat> I understand there's an inappropriate place of just yielding to lethargy and yielding to apathy. But you know, I, I could have a Sunday night service now and there'd be five of us here. And, and I'm not saying it wouldn't be worthwhile and if two or three are gathered, I got it. We could, we could, we could quote the verses... And make us feel better. But the point of the matter is, I don't know that God's on it anymore. And I think there are, that's, a just, that's a form and a structure. Nowhere in the scripture does it say, thou shalt meet on Sunday night at 6 p.m. It doesn't say that anywhere in here. Now, again, there may be merit to it. It may work some places. I'm just saying, for me, I, just, I didn't see the merit. And, and, and to be candid with you, I think families have enjoyed their Sunday afternoons and nights. Now, I'm, I'm simply saying, though, but for some people, when that shifts, they go, how can that be? I remember when. Well, so do I. I remember when. Don't you think God remembers when? But it's like the hymn said, his truth is marching on. I remember when we used to have Sunday over Sunday revivals, and you'd meet every night of the week. I mean, Sunday morning, Sunday night, every night of the week, then the next Sunday morning, and then Sunday night. And I mean, there were some great services that happened there. I mean, that was, that was incredible. Anything wrong with that? No, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with it at all. In fact, it, it was used by God to reach numbers of people. But uh, folks, I'll just tell you right now, I'd, I don't know if it's culture, or I don't know if it's us, or I don't know if it's just that God's not on it anymore, and it might be some of everything. But the point I'm trying to make is this. Every structure is subject to change. God is not subject to change, but structure is subject to change. Sure it is. God conduits through things, His presence, in order to reach people. But we struggle with these things. We struggle with the things that once had glory, and that there's no more glory on them, but yet we want to keep it going. It's like we're helping God by keeping it going. We've got to find new ways. I, I, I love Sunday morning intercession that we do, sweetie, because I believe that's really a wineskin that when people come and visit us and they see that, they walk away and go, that blows my mind. I mean, pastors will say that. That blows my mind that you would have that many people come to 930 intercession on a Sunday morning. Now, there were other times in days past, I'm not saying there's a wrong time to intercede. I'm just simply saying there's a structure for everything. It may not last forever, but if God's on it, we keep riding it. Amen. I mean, there was glory on, like I said, pipe organs. I mean, you know, I, I don't know how to play a pipe organ, but 
But there was a day there was probably glory on a pipe organ. Uh, the hymnal had glory on it. Hallelujah. Everybody open your hymnal up to number 256 and we're going to sing the first, third, and fifth stanzas. As if the second and fourth weren't inspired as well. Some of you grew up with prayer books and liturgy. And these aren't evil things. Don't misunderstand me. The temple and the tabernacle was not evil. These are not evil things. But the question is, can they hold what God is pouring out? And for the last year, the Holy Spirit has been working and speaking about these wineskins to me. And if we want God to pour out His presence and His Spirit, do you want God to pour out His presence and His Spirit? I think I got up to a dozen there. Come on, do you want God to pour out His presence? And maybe He's looking for a wineskin that He won't burst. And I just saw a couple things I believe the Lord impressed upon me. About five things. I'm going to move through this quickly. Number one, write this down. God is all about new, doing new things. Isaiah 42, 18, we've read this before. 42, hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see. <coughs> Did I get that one right? I may not have got that one right. Uh, what about 43? Can you just post that? I might have got the wrong one for you guys. Isaiah 43. I'm throwing them a curveball because I think, yes, it was 43. My apologies. Um, Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. It says, do not remember the former things nor consider the things of old. For behold... I will do a new thing, the scripture says. Matt, just, yeah, there we go. Verse 19. I will do a new thing. It will spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So God even was preparing the Jewish nation for new things. We can't get boxed into a corner on some things. And I want to define for you what new is in the biblical sense. God is not altering his plan to something new. In other words, it's not like this new new plan. The gospel's the gospel, period. But there's some new expressions as to how that plan goes forth. I, uh, as many of you are, on Facebook, and I get on these threads, these Facebook threads, and I happen to be on a thread with a group that's from my old denomination. In fact, uh, it's it's called Concerned Nazarenes, and they have a lot of things that they say that I think are on target. But the other day, a thread got started on worship styles and expressions. And of course, uh, in that thread, most, most people were convinced that any sense of contemporary sound in and of itself was evil. That it couldn't be God, as if, you know, 18th century or 19th century sounds were more holy. I just, I'll just put this out here. Those folks were as carnal as we are. All right, and, and, and I think the sound, you may have a taste, I will grant you that. You may have a preference, and I will grant you that. But I have come to believe that it's not the beat or it's not the instruments. Probably for me, it has more to do lyrically in the message. But new doesn't mean it's just absolutely new in the sense of you've never seen or heard it before. It's, there's, there's a freshness to it. In fact, when God says through the psalmist, sing unto him a new song. What that means is don't give me something stale. Don't give me something just, just old and whiny and, 
you know, and I'm not saying there can't be a glory on old hymns. I mean, there are, I know there are, but sometimes you get in that, that, that atmosphere and it's like bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. God's saying, stop. Stop. It's like throwing up an old goat on an altar and trying to sacrifice it to appease him these days. He'll say, stop. We've already got a lamb slain. Martin Luther, when he posted his theses on the Wittenberg door, he didn't have really something that was brand new. It was brand new to most of the people who read it because they never had seen this or heard these things before when it came to having a personal relationship to Jesus. But it wasn't new in the sense that God suddenly just, you know, created it at that moment. It had been there all the time. They just never had ears to hear or eyes to see. It was fresh to the hearer's ears and to the church. But let me tell you, God's going to do fresh stuff. I hope you don't miss it. Because you could if you aren't open to new wineskins. Number two, God is all about retaining His outpouring. God is all about retaining His outpouring. You know, the parable shows us, and of course you know how the picture, it's new wine, and the new wine represents His spirit or His presence. And the wineskin represents that which will hold it or contain it. And, and God is looking, I believe, for churches and for people individually who can receive and retain His outpouring. Now, this is the part most people don't get, and it's this. The reason structure and organization have a place is because those are the wineskins that hold what God is doing. Let me tell you a story. There was a revival that took place down in uh, Brownsville, Florida. It was called the Brownsville Revival. Some of you can remember that back in the mid-90s. Actually started on Father's Day. And in a five-year time period, listen to this, in a five-year time period at that Brownsville Assembly of God, five years, get this, 100,000 people were saved, documented. Documented. 100,000. Now listen to me. Today, that church runs about 500. Now, why is that? I remember the story Pastor Stock still told on one occasion when he went to visit John Kilpatrick as the revival was taking place. And he looked at Pastor John and, and Pastor Larry said, he goes, listen, you're going you're gonna to have to have a wineskin here to retain the harvest. And, and, and while you're, you're doing some great things here and it's a great church and it's an assembly of God and there's nothing wrong. In fact, I fellowship with wonderful assembly of God people as well. But he looked at him and said, your, your assembly of God wineskin isn't holding it. And what happened is God sent revival and it ripped the church. And that's the story of revival all through history. And why we haven't got that yet, I don't know. But I'm here to share with you that it is imperative that we seek God for the harvest as well as for the wineskins that can help retain the harvest. We've got to find ways, if God's going to bring us people, if we believe He's serious as we passionately invite, that He will bring to us people, that people will actually respond. And as they come, then there has to be something that, number one, respects and appreciates, not just, not just them, but appreciates what God is doing as well in all of this. And what are we going to do in order to handle that and facilitate that and help that and, and hopefully... Uh, multiply that number three 
God won't fill just any container. Did you see that in the parable? It wasn't just any container. It had to be a new wineskin. God was very particular about what he would dwell in. Now, if you think about this in the Old Testament, this, this used to really blow my mind. Think about this. When God told Moses to build the tabernacle, think about this. Hear me. He said, Moses, this is what I want you to do. It's going to be this size. These are the dimensions. You're going to go get some wood, and this is the kind of wood you're going to get. No, don't go get pine. Go get this wood, the Achaia or whatever that's. He said, I want you to use this type of fabric. I want you to use these colors, and you'll get this color from a shellfish that's there in the ocean, that if you'll go get this, you'll be able to work with that, and you'll get the special colors that you'll need in order to color it. And when the priests make all of their clothing, they're going to make it like this, and they're going to have certain stones here, there, and everywhere, and just you've got to use these stones. Now listen, when you make all the furniture, it's going to be this high, this wide, this long. It's going to stick out right here. You're going to place it right here. How many of you know that God had an idea about how he wanted his house set up? Don't you ever think for a moment that God doesn't give a rip about what he's going to dwell in. Oh, God dwells in that which he desires. So we can never, this is what the Lord's been saying to me. You can never really say, well, you know, I know how they used to do it at my old church. And and, at my old church, they did it this way. And I'm glad they did because maybe that's what God said for them to do. But here's the key. we we got to find out what God's saying to us and what He's working on in us. And that may be their wineskin. And and we affirm that wineskin. God bless them. But what is our wineskin? Because God will not just fill anything. He only fills that which He designs. Then number four, write this one down. And maybe I'll stop here and just, just make mention of this before I get towards the end. You know, I, I, I shift because I think of church life because I'm a pastor and obviously I think of church. But shift from thinking with me about church, shift right now to think about yourself. God doesn't fill just anything. See, God just doesn't fill anything. Are, are you responding in obedience to the Lord? Are you in an obedient state where if God poured out His Spirit... You, you could be the wineskin that he pours into you personally. God wants to do something new in your life. How many of you believe that? He'd like to do something new in your life. And, and yet we, we present him, yeah, Lord, you can do whatever you want new in my life, but it can't be between 9 and 10 because I'm here, and it can't be, it can't be after school here, and it can't be, and it can't, hey, whoa, whoa, time out. Hey, are you willing for your structures in your life to be tinkered around with God in order that you can experience something new from him? Amen. That wasn't in my notes either. Best stuff's not even in my notes here. Number four. He says patching old things doesn't work. Patching old things doesn't work. Sometimes things run their course and you can't modify it. You got to change it. I ran across this. You may have heard it. But I thought it was funny. I guess it's funny to me. Maybe I'll be the only one laughing. How many of you have ever heard the old story, you can't ride a dead horse? You ever heard that? You can't ride a dead horse. Well, sometimes in church life, we find ways of riding dead horses or justifying the riding of dead horses uh, with regards to 
our institutionalization, our structures, our organization. And so what we do is we begin to make, make uh, 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 excuses like saying things like this. If the horse isn't moving and we know it's a dead horse, then buy a stronger whip. Just whip the dead horse more. Or declare that God told us to ride the dead horse. Or threaten the horse with termination or excommunication. Proclaim this is the way we've always ridden this dead horse. Remind yourself that other churches ride this same kind of dead horse. And determine that riders who don't stay on dead horses are lazy, lack drive, they're carnal or they're troublemakers. Lower the standards so that the dead horse can be included. Or harnessing several dead horses together to increase their speed and call that fellowship. Confess boldly, praise God, this horse is not dead. It's alive. The horse will not go down. Get their horse a website. Kill the other horses around him so the dead one doesn't stand out so much. Take a positive outlook, pronouncing that the dead horse doesn't have to be fed, it's less costly, it carries lower overhead, and therefore contributes substantially more to the bottom line of the church's budget than do some other horses. Rewrite the expected requirements for the horse. State that the other horses are compromisers and apostates and are not from God. Remember all the good times you had while riding that dead horse. And one more freebie, when it becomes apparent that the horse is rotting and falling apart and people begin to hop off the dead horse, speak firmly to the remaining riders and quote one of the former leaders by saying, this horse is not falling apart, it's just shaking loose some dead hair. But there is some Indian wisdom that has gone from generation to generation that simply says this, when you discover you're riding a dead horse, the best strategy is to simply dismount and to find a new horse. Sometimes you just can't patch old things. Sometimes some freshness has to come to the equation. And then lastly, number five, anything new needs a new container. Anything new needs a new container. You simply... We're not going to put the life of Jesus into a dead temple ritual. That was the whole point. Jesus coming full of life. There is no way that the life of God at that moment could be put into that dead religious system and it was going to fit. And whenever the life of God is being poured out, there needs to be new containers. And you know, God not only was speaking to me with regards to to, to pastoring, but with regards to b- being an individual. How many of you realize we've got to present some new containers? We can't, we can't be just doing what we do to be doing it as, a, as an individual. You, you've got to get up to date. You've got to get fresh with God. You've got to get your walk up to date. You've got to let put everything on the altar. You've got to say, Lord, this isn't about me. It's all about you. Bring him a new container. You're wondering why he hasn't worked in your life. It's because you're carrying dead stuff. And he's not patching you up. He's wanting to create something new. That's the, really the gospel. The gospel isn't that you present yourself and God patches you up. The gospel is you present yourself and God turns you into a new creature. And we've got to present God freshness in our life, newness in our life, everything. Lord, 
Lord, the only thing that never changes is you, and I, therefore, am very subject to change. In fact, I probably need a lot more of it than I've even recognized. And I'm beginning to understand that it's, you know, my joke is never say never. Because the minute you say never, well, I'll put it to you this way. Saying never is almost as good as saying in Jesus' name. Because there's something (coughs) in the heavenlies that gets God's attention whenever his people say (coughs) something to the effect never. In fact, even when it comes to I would never do that sin, Paul said there, but for the grace of God, go I. He, he, not even he said never. Because you never know what you do. You never know what you do if you quit praying. You never know what you do if you quit attending to the means of grace, coming into local church life and, and, and knitting yourself here. You never know what you might do. Don't you ever say never. I'd never do this. I'll never do that. And I, I'm just... You know, and, and I've said I'd never do this, I'd never do that. I, let me tell you, my whole life is subject to the will of God, to the leading of the Lord. Your life is subject to the same thing. All of us are here subject to the will of God. Whatever God says, that we will do, that we will do. And so, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just realizing even as I read this that God is calling all of us to do and he pours his life in that and we cannot ride a past work of the Lord. So here's some action points in the last moments I have. Guys, let's put some action points. Number one, legacy needs to be open to new wineskins. I've been in much prayer before the Lord. And uh, I'm just asking, can God pour something new in you? Can he pour something new in you? Just take a moment and just reflect on that. Can God pour something new in you or are you brittle? Are you easily offended? Are you, are you easily rattled? When change comes your way, does it just ruin the next 90 days for you? If change really super bothers you, then you need to get on your knees before the Lord and say, Lord, why does change bother me so much, especially when you're trying to pour forth your spirit and reach lost people? So are you a new wineskin personally? Because when I say legacy, it's easy for us to sit there and say, Oh, yeah, yeah, everybody needs to be a fresh wineskin. I'm talking to you. Not them, you. Don't you worry about them. I'm talking to them and you. Can God pour something new in you? Are you just brittle, intractable, unteachable? Come on now, can God pour something new in you? I want God to pour something new in me. In this church, I'm glad to be able to say, and those of you that have walked with me a long time, are you not glad that you're able to say, Pastor is not the same person he was 15 years ago? Amen. I know you didn't know whether to say amen to that or not. I know. But my wife will lead the way in those amens. I'm glad I'm not either. But but let me tell you, it didn't... Well, I will tell you, there was some pain, and you either get here through pain, or you get here through your knees and prayer. Why don't you just pray and become a new wineskin? Don't go the pain route. Just take that from a guy who's went down a lot of pain paths. We need to be open to fresh wineskins. And so, so, so leaping off of that, I know in church life, you know, we did the government of 12, but, but God's been speaking to me about new wineskins. And in the coming week, weeks, I shouldn't say week, weeks, 
that, that I'm going to share just some new stuff. I don't want it to rattle you or shake you up, but you need to say, hey, we're going to have to find ways that, that God can pour into a new wineskin to expedite uh, the harvest. Let me tell you, God's given us wonderful people, even here recently. And uh, there are just some things that I'm really weighing. And I know we did things a certain way, and God used it, and I believe it was important in those days. But this is a new day and a new thing. And I want to be sure that we're walking lockstep with what the Holy Ghost is saying to us. So we need to be open to new wineskins. Number two, uh, which is pastor is implementing as well some new wineskins. I'm going to find ways. My wife and I have been really praying and visiting and talking <clears throat> In this passionate inviting series, I've learned several things. I've learned, number one, everybody can invite. But there's another group of people within that. It's a smaller group of people. I mean, God has just touched them for outreach. I mean, they were designed to reach people. I mean, I, I, you know how it is. Some people are just like that. I, that's why probably you have salespeople and you have, you know, bureaucrats. You know, some people sit behind a desk. They don't want to deal with anybody. You've got other folks that are gregarious, and they're just out meeting everybody. Well, there are some people that I believe God has designed for outreach. And so uh, we've got to find a way. You know, if you've got those kind of people with that kind of energy and that kind of anointing, you've got to find ways to loose that and just say, you go after it in Jesus' name. And so, you know, we're going to find ways to do that. I'm going to be sharing with you in the coming weeks that, Tuesdays, you know, second and fourth Tuesdays are always, and they shall remain, being gender-specific meetings. Women of Power, Iron Man, we're going to do that. But on off Tuesdays, first and third, we're going to do some training and do some different things that I hope you will involve yourself in. And I'll be sharing more about that in the days to come. And, and also, uh, you know, life group. Life group's good, and, and, and you know, everything's subject to change. So, so we're just looking at everything and evaluating everything and and as these things come your way, hear me again, be flexible. It's not in the Bible, but it ought to have been, you know, blessed are the flexible, for they shall not snap. You know, all right. I'm also working with some guys. I, I, I've got a heart to do some things with uh, media and YouTube and, and, and live streaming maybe on the web and iTunes and all sorts of things. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be sharing some things in these areas. But, but everything, everything has to be mobilized in order to reach the harvest. And then, number three, action point is this. you got to bring your commitment to flexibility and to participation. If you say you're mature, hear me now, if you say you're mature, we're going to find out when change comes. You always do. It's amazing. Whenever, whenever something comes that brings change into our lives, you always find out what's in people. I, I used to say this. Nobody creates your spirit. They only reveal it. God will always bring something into your life that will provide an opportunity to reveal what's inside of you. Whenever change comes, that's usually one of those moments. Something comes to me. Even at work, some of you know how this works at work. Your boss comes in at work, says something's going to change. And as soon as he walks out of the room, everybody sort of circles up their chairs at the office and they're going, your boss didn't do that to you. He just revealed what was inside of you. Your ability to flex will probably determine your ability to be used in a new season. 
Isn't that good? Your ability to flex. I ought to take notes on myself right here. That's just so good. Are you taking it? Thank you. Will probably determine your ability to be used greatly by God. I can, I can tell you right now, uh, whenever I see someone able to say, hey, pastor, I, I, you know, we got to reach the harvest. We're going after it. We're on the ship. And uh, man, whatever you want, just let us know and we'll plug in. Let me tell you something. There's no more greater joy and delight than to have that. But when someone's dragging their feet and clawing the carpet and putting their fingernail marks in the doorway because they aren't. Well, I just wouldn't call that joy. (laughs) I can say this, that the predominant people of legacy have been a joy. But I want everyone on the ship. Now, nothing radical's coming at you, but God, uh, but uh, pastor is preparing you. There's just going to be some shift and changing and some things because I am just myopic on reaching the harvest. Amen. And I'm just grateful that God raised up a church like ours. We put it in a mall. You know, uh, we're trying to get to some permanent property. But you know what? When you're in a place like this, change should be easy. Should be. Of course, we've been here long enough that now I, I wonder sometimes if we feel entrenched. Which I might go ahead and throw this little nugget out. You know, September, we're one year from our lease expiring here. And, and I, I believe if, if some of my conversations here in the next couple of months don't finally nail down the deal to build that facility, and I'm believing God is going to help us do that. So, so I, my expectation is still that will happen. But here's where I'm at in my thinking, and just to share this, with you and that's this I, I it may be time that we just keep in our tabernacle phase and we just keep moving with the cloud because because what we pay right now in our lease payment i'm telling you could go to a lot better causes than the cordish multi-billion dollar company in baltimore maryland amen all right i'd rather send it to the mission field some of that than uh, all that has taken place here but that's a long long time from now but i just thought i'd seed you with that Because you'll follow the cloud, won't you? Amen and amen. Let's stand. It's time to close her now. Amen.